You've never seen the Elvira movie? No. It's phenomenal. When did it come out? I mean, it's in the 80s. She moves to a really conventional Christian small town. This sounds incredible. It's so good. I miss Elvira. I miss Elvira, too. She was good. She was. She had jokes. Welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where we talk every week about stories that should be made into movies. My <laughs> name's Tim Malloy. I'm Matt Donnelly. They're going to say every week about Elvira. <laughs> we have not done the Elvira no. story, but maybe we will. I am Matt Donnelly. We're excited to be here. Yeah. We have a doozy. I know. I feel like I said it a lot because every time yeah. we come up with, especially these incredible intersectional stories like we have this week. I guess this is pretty intersectional. Yeah. Um, it's the intersection of the water, the Bay Bridge, a prison, Native American identity. Uh, the story of America. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tanker crash late in the story. <gasps> wow. There's a hollow, There's a festive Halloween party that ends in disaster. Um, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. This is, of course, the story of, well, there's a lot of great Alcatraz stories. There's yes. the Birdman of Alcatraz. There's... Um, how Sean Connery and Nick Cage broke out of it once. A.K.A. The Rock. Yes. A lot of Alcatraz movies. Mm-hmm. Here's an Alcatraz movie you haven't seen. Wow. It's the story of the time Native American activists took over Alcatraz. And you may not have heard about it because it only lasted for 19 months. Uh, that's how long they had taken ni- over? 19 oh months. That's like next level stunt queen. <laughs> like it's like taking over for five minutes before like a, a, a police boat comes to get you. But for 19 months, they must have had like neutral grain bars. Um, yeah, that was an issue. Uh, yeah. Food was an issue. Water was an issue. So let's, let's start off setting the scene. This At the is, very beginning. This is 1969, mm-hmm. a crazy year. A year when so much crazy stuff was happening that you might not pay that much attention to Native Americans taking over Alcatraz for 19 months. <laughs> Everyone was busy. Uh, insane period. It, our story begins. Let's start it with a fire. Okay. Our story starts with a fire. Deal. On November 1st, 1969, the San Francisco American Indian Center burns down. And it's been a focal point of Native American life in the city. Remember the history of Native Americans in this country. These are people who've been chased out of their homes since Columbus arrived 500 years earlier. The U.S. makes treaties and breaks them constantly. The Native Americans get worse and worse and worse land. They're forced onto reservations. As a group, they're among the poorest Americans. From the 1940s until the time of this story, there's something called the Indian Tribal Termination Policy, which is designed to stop recognizing the sovereignty of Native American tribes to govern themselves and to assimilate them into the mainstream. In the words of Northern Cheyenne and U.S. Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell, absorb them until they simply disappear into the mainstream culture. Remember all this because in 1969, these are facts most Americans are paying very little attention to. Here is a great opinion piece from the New York Times for March 8th, 1970, um, which is praising the Alcatraz takeover. Mm. This is by a guy whose father was an Indian missionary. Um, whenever I use the word Indian, I'm just using the word that they were using in their articles and writings You're at the saying, time. This is a safe space. It is difficult for most Americans to comprehend that there still exists living community of nearly one million Indians in this country. For many people, Indians have become a species of movie actor periodically dispatched to the happy hunting grounds by John Wayne on The Late Late Show. So this is sort of where, where Americans' views stand in 1970. Obviously, there's some people who are aware of these issues because this guy's writing an article for The New York Times right. entitled, This Country Was a Lot Better Off When the Indians Were Running It. Ugh. But his view of others' view is pretty dim. And that is kind of where the national mood is when the Native American Center in San Francisco burns down. This is the impetus for two guys who've recently met at a Halloween party, the heroes of our story, to come together and come up with a radical plan. They don't seem that radical. One guy is named Adam Fortunate Eagle. He's a Native American uh, termite inspector. He's about 40 when this is happening, married dude. 
Um, he meets this guy, 27-year-old Richard Oakes, at the Halloween party. Oakes is about 27 when this starts. He's a student. He's an activist. He's a bartender. He's a handsome dude. Uh, I saw a video of him at one point where he's wearing like a cable knit sweater, looking extremely San Francisco. Um, he's a newlywed who's just adopted his new wife's five children. Five children. Five children. So he's wow. a dad. There's some stakes and here. And there's also true. That must be true love when you adopt five kids at 27, even in 1969. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot. That's love. So these guys, after the the fire, they come up with this plan. They are going to take over Alcatraz. Um, if you and I now consider they have about the same resources that you and I have to take over Alcatraz. What is yeah. Alcatraz in 1963? <laughs> It is shut down as a prison. Yeah. All of the Alcatraz stuff is, is done. Mm. And it's just kind of sitting there for seven years as the government tries to decide what to do with it. Yeah. And also, even though I think it has a more badass or kind of like um, uh, kitschy reputation now, Alcatraz was a place of horrors, wasn't it? It was maximum security on a rock in the middle of the sea. Have you been um, to Alcatraz? I've never been to Alcatraz, no. You I passed it. You can go and sit in the cells in Alcatraz. It is so cold and so isolated and so dark. These yeah. rooms are so small. You, you're like an insect in Alcatraz. Yeah. It is a terrifying place. Mm. It's really ugly, um, despite having, and it also has a view of one of the most beautiful cities in the world. <laughs> yeah, talk about psychological torture, like, watching the glittery bay of San Francisco. When they say it's like a rock, it's really like a rock with mm. like some stones thrown on top of it. So they decide they're going to take it over symbolically. Um, again, they don't really have a lot of resources. They arrange for several boats to pick up a lot of people who are gonna help them with the takeover. Um, Early in the morning of November 9th, 1969, a group of boats are supposed to arrive to take take the activists to Alcatraz Island. The boats never show up, but one of the organizers, the the termite inspector guy we talked about, Adam Fortunate Eagle, the older one, uh, convinces the owner of this yacht to let a few people climb onto his yacht. And the owner of the yacht says, okay, but I'm not taking you all the way to Alcatraz. And they're like, <laughs> no problem. They jump out, including the Mohawk activist, Richard Oaks, mm-hmm. jump overboard and swim to shore. I mentioned that he's Mohawk. There's a lot of different tribes involved. Um, I couldn't begin to list all of them, right. but I'm just going to, if it comes up organically, I'll throw it in because Mohawk is the coolest tribal name. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. Although fortunate eagle, I will say, I feel like every eagle is pretty fortunate because they're just so gorgeous and True. stately, but I feel like there are some amazing names happening here. Yeah. It's beautiful. So they jump overboard, they swim to shore. This is all according to the book Alcatraz, Alcatraz, the Indian Occupation of 1969 to 71 by Adam Fortunate Eagle. Um, they get there, there's 14 of them, um, and they do one of the wittiest things anyone has ever done in U.S. history. They claim Alcatraz by right of discovery. Now, what is the right of discovery? This is, of course, what European conquerors used to occupy indigenous lands for centuries, even though there were already people on those lands. So they discovered it, even though there were already people there. <laughs> so they go, oh, guess what? We just discovered this new island, Alcatraz. It's ours now. Oh, my God. This is, like, hilariously ironic and satirical. Yeah. It's All like, of these guys. It's have, also beautifully confrontational. It's so confrontational. Yeah. It's such perfect shade. It's, it's just really well done. It's really good political theater, but it's also they have physically got the island. Um, so they're removed pretty quickly by the Coast Guard. Then a larger group returns. This is when 14 people stay overnight. Oaks delivers a proclamation written by Fortunate Eagle claiming the the land by right of self-discovery. There's this great NPR article by this guy, Colin Dwyer, that says they were also relying on the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty. And this is also hilarious because that treaty, according to the demonstrators, required that any unused federal lands be handed over to Native Americans. And they also had signs that said, what are you going to do, put us in Alcatraz? (laughs) (laughs) 
so this goes over pretty well. They get some attention. People find it entertaining and clever. Um, on November 20th, the real occupation starts. 89 American Indians, including men, women, and six children, arrive. Uh, the island's caretaker, Glenn Dodson, has been tipped off that this is going to happen. He says that he's one-eighth Indian. Um, this is the word he used in 1969. I'm saying Native American. Um, and he sends out a message on his radio, Mayday, Mayday, the Indians have landed. Um, Glenn Dodson, as you may have guessed, is pretty hilarious. Mm. So he does as little as he possibly can to stop the invasion. He advises the activists that they are trespassing, mm -hmm. and then he immediately takes them to the nicest place on the entire island, <laughs> the former warden's home. Um, there they have a powwow at a ceremony. Um, this is all according to the PBS documentary, Alcatraz is not an island. Mm -hmm. So this is hilarious and genius. So they've moved in. They've moved in. The Imagine, like, the warden of Alcatraz in, like, the 50s thinking, like, I am the only person creating order on this island. Yeah. Everything else is chaos. And now there's all these Native American activists who've taken over and are having a fucking powwow in his living room. I would love to see how he perked out his own house, too. Like, I bet you it has a dumb waiter. I bet you there's a single-lane bowling alley. Like, I just want to see, like, how he customizes, how he pimps out the it's, warden's home. It's a great house that they're now occupying. <laughs> Things go great for a while. They put up a Native American flag, like, over the prison. They hold a powwow on the dock. They're chopping wood and doing real work to make the place come back together because, I mean, it's been, it's been abandoned for six years except for this one great, hilarious dude, Dodson. Um, they spray graffiti on the old prison walls that say Indians welcome and Alcatraz is Indian land and things like that. Um, a reporter asks Oaks how long he's willing to wait this out, and he kind of smiles and he says, quite a while. <laughs> in the same interview, Oaks gives this great quote. He says, there's a dual sense of justice in this country. If they're going to treat us separately, then we'll remain separately. This is such a, like, incredibly dramatic cinematic time because, like, I'm a sucker for any movie that has a helicopter in it. Yeah, same. There's a helicopter overhead the entire time. Oh, my God. Whizzing by, sort of just keeping tabs on what's happening. Um, you can see all this footage from San Francisco. Maybe it was like trying to make uncomfortable living conditions for them. They're like, we have this entire island to ourselves. But there's constantly a chopper <laughs> circling around. God. Oh, my God. Um, so they also spell out this proclamation, which is one of the greatest documents I've ever read. This is fantastic. First, they say the price that they're willing to pay for Alcatraz Island, which is $24 in glass beads and red cloth. Uh, they say that this is a reference to the price paid for Manhattan. Um, the precedent set by the white man's purchase of a similar island about 300 years ago, we know that $24 in trade goods for these 16 acres is more than was paid for Manhattan Island was sold, but we know that land values have risen over the years. Our offer of $1.24 per acre is greater than, the .47, greater than the 47 cents per acre that white men are now paying the California Indians for their lands. Then they say this incredible bit of incredibleness. I'm just going to read it. Um, okay. We feel that this so-called Alcatraz Island is more than suitable for an Indian reservation as determined by the white man's own standards. Hmm. By this, we mean that this place resembles most Indian reservations in that, one, it is isolated from modern facilities and without adequate means of transportation. Two, it has no running water. Three, it has inadequate sanitation facilities. Four, there are no oil or mineral rights. Five, there is no industry and so self-employment, so unemployment is very great. There are no healthcare facilities. The soil is rocky and non-productive, and the land does not support game. There are no educational facilities. The population has always exceeded the land base. And number 10, I sort of stop the numbers for a minute. Mm -hmm. The population has always been held as prisoners and kept dependent upon others. What fantastic, yeah. what a way to throw it back in their face. Absolutely. 
Um, and they propose a Center for Native American Studies, an American Indian Spiritual Center, an Indian Center of Ecology, an Indian Training School, a lot of great public services for Native Americans on Alcatraz. And for a while, they're, they're taken somewhat seriously. Yeah. I mean, people talk about this like it could be an actual solution. Um, so they become a very cool cause. Um, really, just a, is it a cause celeb? Sure. Is that how yeah. that's said? I would say cause celeb. And also, I think that this was a time that was, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you talk more about what, how it became a cause celeb, but I think this was a time when a lot of people in entertainment were adopting causes to see more, like they had more depth. Yeah. Um, uh, which is now, I think it's considered pro forma. When you have influence and power and wealth and social media following, you should do good. But then I think it was definitely um, something that your publicist told you to do. So the following people's publicists told them that they should care. Um, <laughs> yes, and I, that, I, I'm happy to say that a statement of fact. Jane Fonda, Marlon Brando, Jonathan Winters, Dick Gregory, um, and also the band Credence Clearwater Revival ah. uh, donates $15,000 to the cause. Well, I can say, by the way, I, I can't speak for Dick Gregory or Jonathan Winters because I don't know who the hell they are. Oh, yeah, Jonathan Winters was a big deal. He was a, one of Robin Williams' heroes, and Dick Gregory was a really big deal, too, and an activist to the end. He died um, August 19, 2017, and I only know that because we paused in the middle of this recording and totally. I uh, Googled it. Awesome. Uh, well, but obviously it's not hard to 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 find the long history of activism on Jane Fonda's part. True. And Marlon Brando um, had the very close ties to the Native American community, if you'll remember. Oh. He famously asked Go uh, on. a Native American friend to accept his Oscar for The Godfather. We're definitely going to call that back mm -hmm. at the end of our story. Believe you me. Okay. Um, so they have a great community going here. Men, women, and children living in harmony. As I said, they've been fixing up the place. Um, Alcatraz is looking better than it's looked since 1963. And then, as always happens with Native American land, outsiders come and ruin things. Um, this is from the PBS documentary Alcatraz is Not an Island. Some non-Indians from the San Francisco drug and hippie culture moved out to the island. To make matters worse, leadership struggles on the island increased as some groups resented the media attention that Richard Oakes received. Uh, this, from here on out, things go fairly badly. We're going to condense these because a lot of cool stuff has already happened that is very wonderful and cinematic, including that great speech from Richard Oakes. Um, so this is from Alcatraz is Not an Island, with a little bit of commentary from me. On January 3rd, 1970, Oakes' 13-year-old daughter, one of his five adopted children, falls in a concrete slab and dies. Um, to give you a little more flavor of how Americans looked at the world um, in this era, when this, when this girl dies, um, in 1970, it's a one-paragraph entry in the New York Times with the headline, Indian Dies at Alcatraz. Um, it's on a full page, this page being A14, where the top story is, Mormons reaffirm church's ban on Negroes' priesthood. <sighs> and there's a story below that with the headline, Statement by Mormons on Role of Negro. Don't you love when they refer to, like, an entire race yes. as, like, one guy? Um, like... <laughs> <laughs> the fate of the the ambassador for all yeah oh my god oh my god amazing I love that you have like microfiche printouts in front of you right now yeah I went to the library Tim has like like he's in Mindhunter <laughs> and he's got doximile printouts of microfiche newspaper rolls it's amazing I went and rolled it by hand exactly did you uh, also go into the old Cromwell mansion after dark <laughs> <laughs> um, another of the articles that I microfished 
uh, the ad on the page about the future of the Mormon church and the role of the Negro. I feel awful, like, even saying that. I know. I am reading it. I, I want to, like, post it He's, online. To Can you look at Tim, it and confirm in, in, that I am— In post, Tim's going to add 17 more attributions to the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking at—it's—it's—it's—oh, it's, my God. So can you confirm that it is as unwoke right. as I say? Oh, my God, but also a B. Altman company was selling upholstered chairs for $120 for a set. This must be from 1970. Those are—those chairs are probably worth something They're now. probably worth a lot They're now. ugly, though. I know they are. Well, upholstered Chairs, come on. This is the midwinter it's furniture like, sale. The upholstered is a really generous word for what's going on with those chairs. It's like velvet stapled <laughs> to cardboard. I think you missed the other great ad in here. What? Um, it's an ad for custom shirts. Ooh. And it says, the first, it's, there's this calligraphy that's so awful, I can't even say what this word is. I think it might be why. Um, but then it says, traditional, question mark, continental, question mark, swinger in italics. Oh. So, like, the swinging is the cool thing yes. in January 1970. We've got something for everybody. And what's it an ad for? It's for shirts. Oh, my God. Like there's Wait, some, and they're in different fonts. There's some dopey guy in 1970 who's like, I need to have more swinger shirts. <laughs> Or if my traditional shirt doesn't go with my swinger suit, I need customs. Maybe my wife doesn't want to swing because I'm wearing the wrong shirt. <laughs> doesn't matter how many fish bowls I buy for a key party, she never wants to do it. I've been showing up in my traditional and continental shirts. I look like a jackass. I look like a square. I'm humiliating myself, Helen. It's bad enough we don't have the upholstered chairs. <laughs> we have the worst key parties than anyone in our New York suburban town. <laughs> We are the laughing stock of rye. <laughs> I can't even take the one south anymore. I've got to drive like a toll man. God, no one in Austin is going to invite us to their key parties. <laughs> and I've got to go look at Betty Draper in the market every day. <laughs> Austin, uh, she shoots birds out of the sky. Yes. Uh, we, anyway, and we digress. Um, <laughs> back to the plight of the Native Americans and uh, the history of genocide in this yes. country. Great, great. Yeah. So the 13-year-old daughter of Richard Oakes, who's been kind of the big organizer of this whole thing, the leader of the entire protest, dies, and that is kind of the beginning of the end of this protest. His family's grieving, obviously, and they leave. This creates a power struggle. Now dark times come. Federal negotiators and the Native Americans uh, disagree on a lot. The Native Americans want the deed to Alcatraz. In order to, um, what's the opposite of sweetening the deal? Um, salting the deal? Yeah. In order to salt up that deal, the government shuts off remaining telephone and electric service, uh, making the inhabitants more vulnerable and more isolated. In June, there's a fire that destroys those nice quarters that the warden lived in. Um, the government blames the occupiers. The occupiers blame white saboteurs. Uh, we don't know whether the occupiers or the white saboteurs burned down the warden's house, but we do know this. The white people did it. <laughs> <laughs> we can say with absolute confidence it was the white people. Thank you to Triumph the Insult Comic Dog for the um, basis of that joke, which is whether Michael Jackson is innocent or guilty, we may never know, but we do know this. He's guilty. <laughs> which is not the official position of the Shoot This Now podcast. Right. We are uh, neutral on, uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, something really good happens, though, that uh, Nixon, that something really good happens, though, the tribal termination policy that we talked about earlier, Nixon decides to end that in okay. the midst of all this. So that is a huge victory. And in a way, it's rescuing Native American sovereignty in the United States. 
But a bunch of other weird stuff is happening. The Coast Guard is worried about navigation because without electricity in San Francisco's fog, there's a big dark island out there. The Coast Guard goes to fix the lights um, so that you know boats will be able to see things. And the armed occupants, the now armed occupants of the island say, oh, sure, come in and fix the lights just as soon as you give us back our water. So there's a bit more of a standoff. Oh. A little while later, mysteriously, a two and a half foot long arrow strikes a tour boat. No one knows who's responsible, but every time a tour boat is struck by an arrow, people blame the Native Americans. I mean, honestly, which, it's <laughs> so racist. And God. if I had a dollar. So who knows? Who knows who was responsible for that? But again, probably the whites. Um, then that tanker crash we promised earlier in the episode happens. In mid-January 1971, two super tankers collide. Everyone blames the occupiers, even though the outage had no apparent impact on the uh, impact. Um, conditions <laughs> get worse. There's no water or electricity, oh. and the feds, including the FBI, move in and remove the last 15 holdouts on the island. Oh, my God. See, what you're saying is, is that Alcatraz isn't actually just a spa island. It's... No. Yeah. No. Well. That didn't work out. Um, we're going to condense a lot of the sad stuff into someone telling it to Richard Oakes, um, who has moved on to another fight. He's gone to help the Pitt River tribe try to reclaim nearly 3 million acres of land that's been seized by Pacific Gas and Electric. Mm-hmm. He, that is one of many Ooh. efforts that has been inspired by the Alcatraz takeover of Native Americans standing up for themselves and trying to take back land that has been taken. Wow. There are a couple of bad things that happen. He is shot to death in 1972 um, under, I'd say, somewhat mysterious circumstances. Right. Uh, the FBI and Cointel Pro start to monitor Native Americans. Um, but we see a lot of good things that happen, including what you mentioned with the Oscars. Yes. Um, a huge... Huge moment for representation. She used maybe one of the most visible platforms in the entire world, which is the Academy Awards, back when everyone had to sit in front of the television and watch it. And it was sort of like, I, I, I think that the general reaction was was widely panned. It was, it was seen as Hollywood people having no place um, at their own award ceremony, trying to f- solve everything, as Tina, would fit, Tina Fey would say. Like, oh, Hollywood's going to fix everything tonight. Um, but yeah, it was not it was not very well received. Uh, and similarly, Jane Fonda was also booed at her own Oscar uh, ceremony when she won Best Actress for her own political Hanoi Jane antics. But when you put yourself out there and take a stand on something politically, it's mm-hmm. not always going to be popular. Right. And I think we can say that for sure, Native American representation improved at least in Hollywood after the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not you know John Wayne movies anymore. It's significantly better. We're starting to get movies like Dancing with the Wolves. Um, we got the movie that just came out this year that is maybe the best movie of the year, The Rider, yeah. which is so good, yeah. set, on, set on a reservation um, about a young man who is a a rodeo rider who gets mm-hmm. injured and has to stop being a rodeo rider and his conflict with that. It is so beautiful so and beautiful. excellent. So beautiful. And actually kind of plays himself, the actor. Oh, yeah. 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 It's very, it's a, it's a, uh, the filmmaker developed that character with, with the real subject so oh and besides those things another good thing happens for native americans hmm. um in 1980 the supreme court rules based on remember that treaty that yeah. we talked about i do the one from way back when mm-hmm. that an 1877 act of congress that moved from the moved the sioux from the sacred black hills was invalid because the land was never actually for sale and the court awards them 102 million dollars which with interest is now worth one billion dollars and in one of the most awesome statements that Native Americans have made, the Sioux refuse to accept the money, and they say, no, we're good. We'll hold out for the Black Hills. <laughs> oh, wow. So 
this incredibly poor population mm. is like, no, 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 we don't want your billion dollars. Yeah. We want our land. Right. right. Incredible. That is incredible. So, wow. yeah, that's our story. That's our story. We're sticking to it. Who would direct this? I have no idea. Right. Um, there are a couple of prom. Uh, sadly, um, but very predictably, you might be aware that there is almost um, no representation of Native Americans in Hollywood. There are a couple of prominent actors who work a lot, one of which is a fabulous, amazing guy named Gil Birmingham, mm-hmm. um, who, I mean, I first fell in love with him as the leader of the tribe in Twilight. He played Jacob Black's dad, Billy Black. Um, but he's been, he was most recently in, uh, in Wind River, fantastic oh, supporting yeah. role alongside Jeremy Renner. He's in Yellowstone on the Paramount Network. He, I mean, he works all the time. He was, uh, he was Jeff Bridges' partner in Hell or High Water. Phenomenal performance there, too. Oh, he's very um, good. Gil is a fantastic actor. Um, so I can see him definitely as uh, Mr. Fortunate Eagle. Mm-hmm. And for a hotshot, um, handsome, young Richard Oakes, there is a, another actor from Twilight, actually, named uh, Kiawa Gordon, who mm-hmm. is handsome strapping, virile, and looks like he could handle five kids. You know, it's funny. When you Google Native American actors, which I absolutely had to do because, like you said, mm-hmm. there are not that many yeah. because Native Americans are represent, underrepresented in almost everything. Right. Um, so many of the actors who come up were in the Twilight movies. Yeah. Um, well, yes, because they put, there was an actual yeah. Native... Stephanie Meyer wrote in a Native American tribe to that story. So mm-hmm. it's amazing. Um, but some of the names I saw were Jeremy Ray Valdez who is born in 1980 and is like exactly the right age to, <laughs> to play Richard Oakes. Yeah. Um, Justin Rain. And my favorite choice actually um, is Martin Sensmeyer, who is in Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Tlingit, which is Alaska native. Um, I don't know whether there's sort of a, I don't know if there's a Scarlett Johansson situation if you have somebody playing a very a very geographically different tribe. Yeah, I think it's I I think that it's probably difficult, but I I know that especially if you look at like something like the Asian community, um, you you there's consistently a, a a serious problem of like Japanese actresses playing Chinese roles. Not problem, but like I think that it's actors of color have to like if you're remotely yeah uh, similar in appearance or or in um, in in speech or, or whatever it is you just get shoehorned into those roles. Um, it's something we ad- we certainly have to fix. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of if you're, if you're from any Latin American country, you will be asked to play someone from another Latin American country almost. Yeah. But then again, I don't I don't know how much of an issue that is because we have British people coming and taking all of our great American roles. So, you know, Henry Cavill alone played an American CIA agent. Yeah. So that that's sometimes people say, well, that's just acting. You play different parts. And I don't really know what the politics are around around Native American casting. Um, But I do know that you see a lot of Native Americans playing members of other tribes and far off geographic regions just because there's not that many actors. Yeah. Um, We reached out to a Native American acting group um, asking for some ideas and have not yet heard back, but we'll update it in the story if we yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, positively will. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an incredible story. It's deeply entrenched in American history. Um, let's do it. Let's shoot this now. What oh, we, my God, I just used the name wow. of the podcast on the podcast. What do we, uh, what do we call this movie? Oh, um, the Traz. Um, we can't call it The Rock. We could call it The Traz. <laughs> that would make no sense. Life, life on the island, uh, island life. I don't know. I mean, um, Alcatraz is not an island. It's pretty good. I just mm. like the island. Yeah, the I island. Mean, 
I also like the idea of if they're going to separate us, we're going to separate ourselves. I don't know how to do that. Um, but there's a lot here. I don't know. Honestly, like, we're never going to write this. Like, a Native I American know. writer should write I this. I know. And Native mm-hmm. American should direct this. There's also, uh, I, I know this is random, so we can have to use this if you don't want to, but there's also, there was an incredible Sundance movie, very slow, but very rewarding Kelly Reichert movie called Certain Women that had a uh, Native American actress named Lily Gladstone. Mm-hmm. And she had every single person in Hollywood calling her to come and do more movies. Um, but she sort of turned down a gold rush of jobs because she uh, teaches Native American history through collaborative theater workshops interesting across, across her native really just across all the midwest um which i think her dedication is amazing so someone like her should write it uh it's just incredible you know who else has done an incredible job with native american stories is chloe Zhao. um yes who oh directed my God. the writer yeah. and wrote the writer yeah despite well, being by the way, i believe one best director from the film festival jury prize it, it's uh independent spirit award for best cinematography mm-hmm. i'm trying to find some other awards that she won she should win a lot of awards for this movie and people should go check out the writer yeah um but she's had just incredible sensitivity around life on reservations and who knows i wouldn't be surprised that she moves up and does bigger and bigger budget stuff this absolutely. could be something that makes sense for her absolutely um she seems to i think she has some credibility here because she's really done a good job with and then scarlet can just go watch it instead of be in it <laughs> Well, she's going to play President Nixon. <laughs> I actually wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, I, don't, I don't have a problem As with that. As a I white like, male. Please, I, Scarlett Johansson, let's play all our movie parts. I like Scarlett Johansson. I want her to play more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Oh, by the way, I forgot. Fortunate Eagle is still alive. Oh, amazing. He's 89 years old. He should write Oh, my God. And what they, could, we, they could certainly base this on one of his, three, I believe, three books. Yeah. I wonder if we can get Con- Connery and Nick Cage to come back and play guards or something. Or like <laughs> part of the FBI team just because they know the island so well. <laughs> they can play the hostage negotiator. I can't say they're both very busy. Anything <laughs> else? <laughs> um, no. No. Like us, give us five stars, write us reviews. If you have, um, if you are a Native American actor who wants consideration for this project that doesn't exist, just tweet us. We'd love to promote you guys and see who you are and, and, and hear your stories. Mm-hmm.